I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. David Bowler stops in today to tell us a little bit about what it's like to be an importer and distributor several years in, in New York. David, what's going on, Bob? Yes, sir. Uh, not much. Uh, things are good. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> you know, Levy, it's going to be hard for me to be Just serious. Just facts, ma'am. It's going to be hard for me to be serious today. It's, That's fine. It's I, sort of my, uh, you, you know. You have short-timer syndrome to when, when your I vacation. Was, yeah, when I, when, I, when I was in, you know, in school i was the guy in the back of the classroom making yeah. jokes you know and especially here honestly with you. you still are yeah that guy. <laughs> there's really no change <laughs> and, and with, that's what we want to talk about how sometimes <laughs> despite all the odds that guy succeeds <laughs> but one of the ways he's going to need to succeed is he's going to have to come in closer to the mic all right i'm here you I'm gotta here. scoot in buddy all right you gotta you gotta it's do something very comfortable uh, with my mouth on this i'm gonna start grill. bumping you with it i'm just gonna like <laughs> start pushing it all right here Yes, I'm here. I'm okay. with you. I'm okay. in. All right. I believe you. I believe you. So David Bowler, you uh, you run the eponymous David Bowler Imports. Yes, I do. Tell us a little bit about an average day in the life of a fabulous wine importer. Uh, I sit back and I let my people do everything. <laughs> so you give people freedom to do what they're good at. <laughs> well, that's what you might call it. <laughs> Well, look, nobody uh, nobody grows up wanting to be in the wine business, right? Yeah, we sort of all fall into it from other things. So I was uh, I was a failed uh, musician and then a failed filmmaker, and so uh, I needed something to do. So I flipped my hobby and my passion. My passion at the time was music, so still is, but you know, kind of made uh, music my hobby and uh, made wine my uh, profession, and that and seemed to be working out. When was that? Early 90s, I was walking, uh, I mean, literally, I was walking down, uh, getting toward my studio. We had a small studio. We had some success as music producers, but uh, I had two little kids at home. Yeah, you need to maybe turn not out enough, a check. Not enough money coming in, despite the fact we had a record on the radio in the top 40, I might add. Casey Kasem. Yeah, I, yeah, have, yeah. I do a mean Casey Kasem Well, I heard Casey count down our record. It was a thrilling moment. And... Uh, I literally made a left on 14th Street, and I stopped into Crossroads and uh, met Willie Abramsky. I don't know if you ever sure, met him. Sure, I have yeah. met him. 
So Willie, a legendary figure in the New York wine scene, no longer there. He closed up shop, and I think he, uh, I don't know where he went. He sort of disappeared. Kind of disappeared, yeah. yeah. Um, I was kind well, of surprised to see it close, actually. Well, been there a long time, but... Uh, you know, Willie was by himself for a long time in terms of uh, fine wine, especially downtown. And uh, people caught up to him, and I think he uh, kind of felt the competition and maybe it didn't change enough and whatever. But I, I, I walked in uh, to his store, and I'd heard of the store. I'd actually never been in the store before, although I knew of it because I was buying wine. And I asked for a job, and he hired me on the spot. I said, thank you very much. And then he looked at me and said, you're not coming in tomorrow. Really? Did yeah. that? That's a good impersonation, yeah. too, because that's exactly what he sounds yeah. like. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'll be here. He goes, nah, you're not going to be here. I said, Willie, I'll be here tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I showed up the next day. That's how desperate I was. Was he like, who are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't remember you from no, the day No, he before? remembered me. <laughs> I was uh, in my 30s at that point. I was like 34 years old. You're so. like, I had a song in the top 40, Willie. <laughs> yeah, Come right. on, you don't know me? You want me to <laughs> autograph anything while I'm here? Yeah, and then he handed me a... Uh, a, a dust broom and said, uh, you know, please yeah. dust all the bottles in the store. That's well, you didn't do a very good do. job because yeah. when I went in there, that place was dusty. Actually, you know, Willie was an odd guy. He he would, these kinds of things were important to him. He was mm -hmm. a retailer. And I've got to tell you, I learned so much from Willie Abramsky. I learned how to sell wine. I'll never forget I was in the store. By the way, you know, other people worked there that, you know, I, I first met Manny Burke at Crossroads. I didn't know he worked at Crossroads. He didn't work there. He was the guy doing all the, the ad the copy. Adding. Yeah, yeah the so ad I used copy. to talk to him all the time. And then uh, I think David Hinkle from North Berkeley worked there and uh, uh, me. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, there's a few other people that, you know, ended up. Clearly you're at the head of that class. Uh, obviously, it's, it goes without <laughs> saying. The, uh, but I'll never forget, I was standing there one day, you know, at the beginning, right? And, yeah. and, and this person comes up to me looking for a bottle of wine, particular bottle of wine, and I, I knew we didn't have it. So I said, I'm sorry. And the most polite, nicest, I'm sorry, we don't have that. Uh, we, don't, we just don't carry that. Yeah. Well, do you remember first, what it was? The one? Oh, it was probably something commercial because Willie kind of avoided the commercial stuff, maybe Kendall Jackson. Sure. Not that there's anything wrong with Kendall Jackson. I remember seeing a Sommer Champagne. I'd never seen that before. Just to put it in context for people who maybe never wanted. That's right. It was a good shot. Anyway, the person walked out, but not unhappy, just walked out without what they were looking for. Yeah. So Willie empty-handed though. Ah, ah. So Jacques, <laughs> my friend. So Willie, right in his way, he watched this transaction because yeah. he's watching me, the new guy, right? So he's watching me and he's just looking at me. He comes over to me, you know, and I'd already started to do whatever else I was doing. Taps right. me on the shoulder. I said, "Yeah, yeah, he I'm dusting here." You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> I said, "Yeah." Hold on, I missed the spot. I said, "Like, how was that? How'd I do? I yeah. was polite." Yeah, I was, hey, you know, yeah, yeah. And he said, "Good vibe." He looked at me and he said, look around. Yeah. What do you see? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I He's said, like, okay, well, Willie. Well, I see a handsome guy named Willie, and I see a 10, bottle 10,000 10, bottles of wine that need to be sold. I, I said, okay, <laughs> Willie, I get it. You know, that was like the first lesson in, you know, what's your job? What's your role? Your, your role is to sell wine. You're not yeah. here to be a nice guy. I mean, you can be a nice guy, but... Uh, 
Maybe you know, it, maybe it helps to be a bit of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna leave empty-handed? <laughs> well, I went. Of course, uh, then I overdid it the other way. People right, walk right, in and right. I shove things right, in there. Right. You know. Here, hold this for me. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I particularly liked doing was uh, people would come in looking for Chardonnay because this is the mid '90s and just before uh, that ABC. Was the even, big you know? times. Yeah. Anything but Chardonnay. So, and I used to enjoy you know having them walk out with bottles of Riesling. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, they never came back. Anyway, so that was how I got started. I, I spent about a year. Is that what you asked me? Am I answering the question? Yeah, All right. you're answering better than I could have. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't have answered it well, better for you. <laughs> Trust me, I You know, tried. by the way, you look a lot different in person than you do on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. People tell me I'm so much more handsome when they can't see me. <laughs> So uh, let's you see. know a lot of times people are like, hey, let me have your business card, and I'll be like, you know what, I look great on this thing. You know, <laughs> pull it out, right? You know, it's nice and slim and trim, just like me. Uh, let's see, where was that? I don't really tell that joke. It's not true. No. I was just testing it out on you. It's not a real one. I use. <laughs> so Willie, Willie's well, there giving you shit. Year, year and, and a half. Time. I learned quite a bit. That's really it's important. It was an important part of my wine and wine sales education both and it's a year and a half about a year and a half and uh when i realized that he wasn't paying me what he told me he was going to pay me oh really yeah but we don't need to get into that yeah um i ended up you know having a good re relationship with willie anyway regardless of the, the ending was a bit sour but so i took a job with uh, you know i got you know working retail like that you get in a good shop you get to see who the players are you get to yeah, see who they, people come in and buy wine especially when there's only one shop yeah yeah, mm -hmm. I, I remember a lot of people going in there, like Randall Graham and uh, Terry Thies and all the importers and all, you know. All so you that. mean on the sell side? You're yeah, they would come in the, to see Willie, but I was the first, you know, Willie was stuck in the back. So I'd have to, you know, find out who they were and go, right. you know, and, and it, was, it was interesting. And so, I mean, I always wanted to know, like, what was Terry Thies like in high school? I mean, so yeah. a long time ago. It was a long time ago. What was Terry Thies like? Exactly the same as he is now. Yeah. He's a wise guy. He's a great guy, and he's a passionate guy, mm -hmm. and uh, a little quirky. And you know, you got to love him for all of those reasons. Well, who are some of the standout people that came walking through the store? Uh, I remember. Uh, I mean, wine people or yeah. people I know, my peeps. Uh, I remember Paul Greco coming mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. when he was working at Union Square or Gramercy when it just opened. Uh, he was always interesting. Uh, Bruce Anderson uh, from the Wine Spectator I used to, I used to uh, sell him some wine and uh, people like that. You mm -hmm. know, people, people who, who are still liked wine. Yeah, yeah, like good wine because Willie's shop was uh, was pretty diverse. You could find things there you couldn't find anywhere else, basically. Okay. So. Um, I, I thought I knew about wine when I went in there. Well, that's the that's the big learning experience, yeah. right? Is yeah. that you think you know, and then you really don't. Yeah, you realize that's, you don't know anything. That's the big secondary plateau. But, but at least I got to know the business a little bit. So I, I you know, I got to know who the players were. So I called uh, I called Harmon Skernick, or there was no email back then. It was just horse and buggy, buggy. There were yeah. no cars. You How know, long did no it take telephones? to carry your pigeon to fly its way back to you? <laughs> I think I must have. Uh, how did I contact? I guess I called him. Teletype. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, we we joke about it, but uh, it was a big party. Willie, no, Willie didn't have a push button phone. Oh yeah, ever. Oh he yeah, he had a rotary, rotary dial phone. We used to have one when I was a kid. Yeah, and we lived in a town so small, we just had to do four numbers. Can you believe that? <laughs> it, it really was like one of those things, like Pemwell five three nine. Really? Like, yeah, well, not like that, but it was just four numbers. There was no. Where was that? It was in Oregon. Oh. Uh, there was like a couple hundred people who lived there. You know, You're was, from Oregon? 
Well, I lived there for a while. Oh. When I was old enough to use a phone, yeah. I lived in a yeah. Well, Willie, uh, God bless him, never never got a push-button phone, ever. That was a pain in the neck, too. But uh, I called Harmon. Oh, I had to work with the transfers. Oh, Here, let me transfer you, and you hang up on the guy, and he calls back. <laughs> there was a hold button. Oh, there was? Yeah, oh, there was a rotary phone. Yeah, That's, there was a hold button. It was weird. It was one of the modern Yeah, I wonder phones. if he like added that like with some sort of circuit board <laughs> trick. It was an add-on. You could yeah, pay AT&T. Make, AT make your own phone. Ma Bell. Uh, so Harmon, uh, at that point, I, I needed a little extra income, and I, I needed something to do to feed my creative juices. So while I was working at Crossroads, I started to write a wine column. Oh, you did? For, yeah, for a small downtown paper called The Villager. Mm -hmm. Still around, but the editor I worked with, uh, I think he died a few years ago. Um, well, it's always good to outlast your editor. I, right. It really does give you the last word. You well, know? he was considerably older than I was, mm -hmm. so it, uh, it was appropriate. He it was a great guy, but uh, and he liked wine. He used to come in. You know, right? it was one of the guys that came in, and I said, "Hey, how about a wine or you know uh, column for your paper?" A and that was a f great experience. I must have written a couple of hundred, well, maybe a hundred, maybe a hundred columns. Wow! And you know, you've, uh, you've about sub subjects, all, yeah, about wine, yeah, and, you know, what to drink uh, in the summer, all the usual topics that all writers have to come up with on a weekly basis, and it was it was weekly. Mm -hmm. And it forced me to really learn because, you know, it's one thing, you know, you, you, you and I can talk about wine and I can say, oh, Merlot is the most popular, great, blah, blah, blah. But if you're going to write that in a newspaper, you actually have to call somebody and say, sure. hey, what is the most popular, you know, the, yeah. the state grape uh, counter uh, office or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, get a quote and some numbers. You have to have ac actual facts, which yeah. is not something I'm accustomed to. I love talking without having any knowledge of the facts. It's worked well for me. Yeah. So that was good, and it forced me to learn about regions I didn't otherwise, uh, or wouldn't have otherwise known much about, and uh, so it was good. So I used that to help get me a gig with, a uh, selling gig with uh, Harmon, and then I also, of course, in my letter, I was slavishly praising their company and their portfolio, That's and that always, wor do. Yeah. always works. I mean, let me tell you. You aspiring, you aspiring uh, job seekers. Hey, that's uh, a nice right? shirt you're wearing, David Boulder, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and so they foolishly hired me, and uh, I worked uh, for them for about three years, and then I left, and then I didn't like the job I had taken, so I begged to come back. <laughs> Remember when I left? Actually, what I didn't know was, I love your company even more. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing is, Levy, I said, I love it. I want to come back, but... I want to get paid a little bit more. Oh, yeah? yeah? Did that work? It did, because remember, this was the 90s, and people had money back then, yeah. you know, employers. Well, the mid-90s. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was, And Skernick was, like, skyrocketing. And yeah, that was, the, that was the go time. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you hear any of the foundational stories of the Skernick Empire? I was part of the foundation, really, because I started there in about 92, 93, mm -hmm. maybe the end of 92. And uh, so I was there. It was just me and like three other salespeople, uh, some of whom have gone on to other things, such as Doug Polaner, who started his I've own heard, company. I've heard of him, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we did the early trips. Uh, I was a, it was a great period. It didn't last very long, but there was a great period at Skernick where they had both the Kermit Lynch portfolio yeah. and the uh, Vineyard Brands portfolio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went to France and we went from Dovisat to uh, Ravino. Right. You were the kings of yeah. France. Yeah. From Bocastel yeah. to uh, yeah, Viewtelegraph. Telegraph. Yeah. <laughs> it exactly. Was, and then Kermit uh, decided to pull the the book there's an early lesson for a business person wine business person i watched i was there with uh 
my second job, I should back up when I came back, I wanted to work in the office. I didn't want to be on the street. I wanted to see how, because um, when I first joined, I was the Long Island sales rep okay. for Skirning. So who was at the table? You, Michael Wheeler, Doug Pollan? Michael Wheeler wasn't there yet. Dan Lerner and David Newland? Dan Le- no. Da- uh, me, Doug, Dan, Tom Lynch. Oh, Tom Lynch. And uh, that so, was it. So David and Michael Wheeler still at Weinbow. Yeah. In fact, I helped Michael Wheeler get his job at Skirning. You should use that over him every time you go out for <laughs> They know it. <laughs> Michael's been tremendously uh, 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 good to me. Michael Skernick and also Michael Wheeler have been very good to me over the years. So uh, it was, you know, I, I got a lot out of all of those relationships. But uh, I forgot what I was saying. But You uh, said that Kermit Lynch left the portfolio. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, an, something. it was a good day. It was a good learning experience because I saw what it did for, you know, Michael was devastated uh, to, yeah. to lose Kermit Lynch. That was before or after Dresner left Skarnick? Dresner was still there but didn't have the whole portfolio there. Okay. So. Because I remember Dresner told me once that he was the first person to leave Skarnick. No, 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 no. He Kermit said, Lynch. He said that that had never happened before and they they didn't know how to respond. Yeah, no, it was it was Kermit was big cuz uh, uh, Michael loved the portfolio and mm-hmm. uh, Well, I've been told that a lot of the burgundy still has was from Kermit. That he bought yeah. back then, and he yeah. has in his own cellar. Right, like he that's pulls right. out the Ravenel. Well, when, who doesn't like Kermit Lynch's portfolio? Right, please. You know, right. Not not a lot of misses. Nope, nope. And uh, but you know, Michael survived and thrived. Yeah. And, so, but I mean, we're talking about France, but it seems like he really thrived in California. California was his thing. That's what really made that company, and so it continues to be a very large part of their so mix. Helen Turley's walking around the, the halls of the Skernick headquarters, or how did it go down? Uh, no, Helen, the story that Michael told was that he had a bottle of, uh, what was the winery she made? B.R. Cohn, I think, uh, 88 B.R. Cohn. Mm-hmm. Olive Hill. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. and she was the winemaker there. And Michael had it at a restaurant and thought it was like uh, the greatest thing he'd ever had from California and contacted her. She'd already left there and she was doing her own thing. You know, Michael was good about, uh, you know, finding these guys in the early days. You know, Talbot is another one he found early on. And so really so many. But the Helen Turley thing, of course, led to uh, a lot of projects because she uh, she got fired from a lot of good projects. So he uh, but before she got fired, of course, she would bring them to Skernick. <laughs> And, so, uh, so what you're saying is you yeah. need a winemaker who works in a high-profile role for 25 wineries. That's so, right. Yeah. Well, the joke is, you know, that uh, when you're Get selling contract a, signed, <laughs> when you're shoot. selling a bottle of California wine in this market, you, you used to say it doesn't work anymore because people like you came along. But you I'm used still to, sorry. For you that. used to be able to say, you know, uh, Helen Turley uh, consulted, and right. that became well, Helen Turley worked there for a week, which became right. she walked by the vineyard. Yeah. Once, well, <laughs> it like rubbed off. It rubbed off on like Larry Turley, the magic. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. When did they get married, by the way? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's what you would hear all the time. You'd be like, "Doesn't she make this Zinfandel?" I mean, it was like one of the classic misappropriations. Yeah. Not that any of those wineries couldn't stand on their own merits, because I think they can. Yep. But like you, that was so common. I love Helen Turley's wine. This yeah. Zinfandel is my favorite. Yeah. And they weren't talking about Martinelli. You know? That's right. That's right. So that was a lot of fun in those days. The trips before the company got really big. It the does trips seem were, like the trips were amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Those, those had to be like uh, you know ultimate oh, kind well of then, festivities. Then Wheeler comes on board, and uh, I never worked with David Newland, although I know him. Uh, I, I worked with uh, Wheeler and uh, Teresa Ryder and uh, oh, many others. She's so really sweet. Jake, I met Jake Halper there. Oh, Halper goes now, that far back. I didn't know that. Yeah, now he he works for me. 
And, uh, but that's our connection. So, uh, yeah, that's my story. Uh, you know, I, I learned uh, from good people. Yeah. I learned, uh, I, you know, watched Michael and Harmon and uh, got to see what they do and how they do it. And I've always been, uh, you know, like I said, I was a failed filmmaker. I think I'm pretty good with uh, coaching and team building and Is that, that kind of thing. Yeah. It seems fact, like the people who work for you work for you a lot. Yeah. In terms of your own employees, not always yeah. the importer side, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I have a great team. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed, it's going to sound really trite and funny, but I, I enjoyed coaching my kids' soccer teams when they were young. I fell into it by accident, but once I was forced to do it, I really enjoyed it. And we had a winning season, too. We, were the, we, we lost in the finals of the playoffs when they were, you know, for my first year. But it was fun to do, and I liked doing it. And, you know, filmmaking, if you're going to make a movie, you've got to put a lot of pieces together and you got to put people together and you got to make it work and you have to have a vision and i think if you're going to run an import distribution company and you don't have a vision you're going to have a hard time so what is yours and and when did you start to develop is it? this where i get serious and yeah i'm asking i mean pious now you got to start talking about your own portfolio so you can't boring. talk shit anymore you have to be real <laughs> i'm levy i'm changing my image yeah <laughs> i want to talk shit about no but people. i think you i think you've changed your image a couple of times actually not yes. you but the wines you represent so can we talk a little bit about yeah. that transformation and well, how it know. all went down? I don't know if I've changed or they changed me. But, uh, you, you know, one of the things about the wine business, it's hard to get me to talk, isn't it? No, dude. Yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> You're a bulldozer of talkage. Levy, I'll call you when I need you. Yeah. The, uh, no, I, I, one of the things I love about this business is uh, the fact that it's still – it's it's requires people and relationships it's not something that's uh, at least not yet gone the way of uh, computerized ordering and things like that you know it's a very much a relationship business maybe maybe all businesses are at some on some level but in particular the wine business is very very relationship uh, oriented and uh, it's very important to have good relationships with people i mean not only with customers but with suppliers and Right? Uh, so, I mean, speaking from the experience of not having those, I would say you're probably <laughs> right. Yeah. I think uh, to sell wine, which is what you do and what I do, you, uh, the, best, the best, uh, best at that are people that are interested genuinely in other people. Because it's a fascinating thing to see, you know, what, what is this person about? Uh, I mean, otherwise, why are we doing this, you know? Right. People in the wine business tend to be passionate types. There's an overused word, right? Should be banned from all yeah, tasting. Yeah, I, I agree. Notes I'm over lingo. passion. Yeah, but uh, he's a passionate winemaker. Unless you're talking about fruit. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's true. Uh, you, you have to enjoy that to be, I think, uh, to, otherwise... Is that still true? Because sometimes, you know, you hear that bantered around, like, hey, this guy's so into himself, and it's, so he wants to be a celebrity sommelier or celebrity wine writer or critic, or, you know, you think it's still like people are It depends on out. what you define as the best. We, I said the best, or, you know... Uh, having success, to me, doesn't necessarily mean you're the best at your gig. Sometimes yeah. it means yeah, you're yeah, really yeah. terrible at your gig, right. but you're really good at self-promotion. Yeah. Uh, but I'm talking about people who actually do a really good job on a day-to-day -day basis and do a good job for their employers, whether they're selling wine for Michael Skernick or Doug Palaner or for Daniel Ballou. If, you know, if you're doing a good job, that's, that's success to well, me. Well, if I meet any of those guys, I'll put you two yeah. in touch. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, no, that's that's what keeps me going in this business, really. And uh, that's what you to answer your original question. That's what changed and helped me. Uh, the relationships with Michael Wheeler and Joe Dresner, and uh, because it does seem like all of a sudden you got the hottest portfolio in the world. Thank kind you. Kind of like given to you by guys who are like, who can we work with? We need someone to work with, yeah. and we know David. Well, you know, it's that thing about having uh, luck comes to you, but you have to be ready for it. Yeah. Um, circumstances around all of you know. I mean, would you agree that you have a pretty hep portfolio right now, and sales have got to be good, and that when you go to Brooklyn, they must throw fairs in your honor, and yeah. I mean. What happens? <laughs> I mean, does, has anyone put down like palm you know, leaves? Or? That hasn't happened yet, but I don't go out <laughs> I much. can suggest it if you'd like me to contact some people. I, I don't go out much. No, I, I get that vibe. Yeah. But, you know, funny that you don't go out. You're not hep man on the scene, but no. you... You're the kingpin behind the scenes well, of this like hep cat portfolio. So how did that all come about? Because you have Louis Pasteur. Yeah. You have Rudy Weiss at the... Jose, uh, Jose Pasteur. Oh, Louis Dresner, Jose. Oh. You, you sort of conflated Louis Dresner. That was Dresner. an interesting move on my part. That's yeah. all right. You know, I got... Because uh, you have Jose Dresner, and that's well, a wonderful I got Jose through Joe. Through Joe, right. Yeah, so it makes no, sense. No, that all a, makes sense to me, yeah. that he would have come on from Joe. Right. And I just didn't want your little thing to go by without uh, sorry, correcting yeah. it publicly. No, but, you know, I think that I... It's not, again, it's not like I said, gee, if I develop these relationships yeah. one day... It doesn't day, feel like that at no, all. No, I, I, you know, Joe and I, again, well, Crossroads, I met Joe when he started up his company. He was selling wine to Willie. Yeah. So uh, that's where I met Mike Wheeler, too, you know. And, and so it was natural. Joe, well, you knew Joe very well. And uh, Joe and I, like Joe and a lot of people, we all think it was just me and Joe, but I know Joe had a lot of people like me who he developed relationships with and worked at keeping those relationships. I mean, I think he chose. He didn't like... He, he chose people. Yeah. yeah. He didn't let people choose him. Right. But, but he would work at it much more than I, I would to maintain the relationship. Over. No, jo Joe and I would have lunch, uh, oh, three or four times a year mm -hmm. uh, over the years when we had nothing to do with each other business-wise. We just liked each other and liked... Uh, I enjoyed his company immensely. I know he could be a bastard with people. I mean, he was well-known. He had a, developed a reputation as a sort of aggressive guy. There was this big wine importer, <laughs> and he rode a bike, and he had bike clips on his shoe. I'm not going to say his name. It might have been like Schmo. And then, yeah, so then he did, no. Yeah, okay, no, so, no, I can, I can. Uh, uh, so tell us about some of your, your the, classic uh, well, Joe Dresner Well, I have scenarios. one, one Joe story, and it's not really a Joe story. It's just sort of illustrates um, uh, who Joe was, maybe a facet to him that uh, you would people weren't aware of. He was known as a you know, purist, right? And uh, sort of a severe purist. Mm -hmm. But Joe was also very aggressive and, and also very competitive. And I don't think he necessarily showed the competitive, you know, business side of him. But I'll never forget, I, I was still young in, the, in my company and there was a producer being offered to us from Burgundy. And uh, I liked the wines a lot. So I was having one of my Joe lunches uh, shortly after tasting the wines. And I talked to Joe about it. And I said, oh, I tasted this wine from this producer, and I'm really interested. I think we're going to pick it up. You know, because we would trade business stuff over lunch, right? right. So <laughs> I'll never forget. He said, oh, no, those wines are terrible. 
Well, awful wines, you know. There's a lot of, and this is before you distributed Joe's wines. I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that years before, yeah. years before. You're, I was just in effect a little yeah. bit of competitors. Yeah, and you're just having a friendly lunch. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's also the guy that told me to to pick up to go with Wygant, and which was very sage advice. But that's another story. But uh, so he said, no, nah, it's terrible. The wines are really awful. It's uh, too much sulfur. Blah 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 blah. And I was a little on the fence because the wines were expensive. But that basically. You know, did this it for me. Is, this is your good friend, and he's saying, yeah. no, no yeah. bueno. So, a month later, yeah. guess who's got the wines? Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us what the wine was? <laughs> uh, Pacolet. Oh, okay. so I, uh So, I'm sitting down on my next Too month. much sulfur in Pacolet. <laughs> what is that? Well, then I'm sitting <laughs> there down. There is some sulfur in Pacolet. <laughs> and I'm Boy, I think, he, I think he was just fucking with you. <laughs> oh, there's way too much sulfur. <laughs> well, yeah, there's way too much white wine in that red wine bottle. <laughs> like, what? He, I think he just wanted you to call bullshit on him. Maybe, maybe he was angling for it yeah. at the time. But I remember having lunch with him next time. I said, "What about those wines from yeah. Pacolet?" Oh, oh Philippe Pacolet? Yeah, you know, no, no, Pacolet? he said they're much better now. Oh, is that is that <laughs> what he said? <laughs> <laughs> and right then I knew, you know what? I'm never going to do that again because Joe right. is Joe. And, you know, if he, you know, he's, he wants to make money and succeed. He wanted to make money and right. succeed too. You know, people think of him as being so pure, but he would even say to me, you know. But Pecolet, uh, though, come on. It was well, a money losing proposition. Yeah, yeah. It's not like he yeah. scored on that. I mean, th- those are, uh, you hold on to Pecolet, it's like uh, yeah. you lose money. Yeah, it's true. You know, that's a passion play. Yeah. That's the only only reason you do it. And they ended up not working with them right. ultimately anyway. Yeah. I mean, they've been through several. You're, yeah. you're required to take a lot of stock yeah. of things that are very expensive for which there's a very, very right. small right. audience. But it says more about Joe than it says about Pacolet. Right. <laughs> so yeah. that's my little Joe story. I bet. I, I always thought that he was coming from a place that was genuine. He was supremely funny. Yeah, right? no, no one's funnier, honestly. No, yeah. And so I just kept the relationship with him for, you know, in the back of my mind. I wasn't in the back of my mind. I would say to him, and he would say to me, gee, wouldn't it have been great if we could have worked together? Wouldn't that have been a lot of fun? But I had Peter Wygant. He was with Palaner right. doing very well. You know, and in the meantime, I got Jose Pastor. I got myself some California people. I worked with... Um, Dude, I, you have uh, some great California people. Thank you. I mean, when someone were to look around... And it's, say like, yeah. who wants to have traditional style California today? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that anyone's. Plus, you got Lopez. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's. I another. mean, dude, uh, you know what color was the limousine when I rolled yeah, up here? I, I it think, can't uh, be like a small thing. Uh, I mean, maybe I think, you don't care, but think, it can't be small. <laughs> I, th- I think Doug Palaner would like to see me step in front of a bus, but right. um, again, you have. I, I I didn't go after anybody. Right. I didn't go after Joe. I didn't go after Lopez. Things change in this business, and relationships change, and things happen, and people you're, move. You're essentially saying that by being a good guy. Well, maybe, but it's not so much being a good guy, but having relationships that, that then, you know, when the opportunity comes around, yeah. they look to me, and, uh, you know, it, it's just over and over in my life been that way. Is I, that true? Yes, yes. So, so what happened before this time? You know, what's, well, what are some of the pre-indications that you were going to become a, the man behind the man in the wine business? Um, mm, I, I'm not sure what that was, except that, well, I mean, for example, when I moved from, uh, when I started the company, I, I didn't start with zero. I had to have some relationships in place. So sure. uh, I had collected a bunch of orders, with German uh, pre-sale orders on the 
2002 vintage, which was coming right after 01, but German wine was on the on the rise, on right? On a big rise. After 2001. Prior to that, it was Sisyphus. It was pushing that rock up the hill every day. When I started the company, first thing I did was call Rudy Beast yeah. yeah. and said, Rudy, I'm going to start my own company. Would you like be there in the fall when I'm started? And he said, absolutely. Because I had proven to him that I was a, you know, a, a good German salesperson. I, I was in love with the category, the, with the wines. So it's been a staple for your company as long yes, as it's been there. Yes. And it's something that I did at Skernick. I, I uh, developed, or I was sort of the de facto brand manager for Terry Thies. I did not know that. Yeah. So you kind of coming off the Thies hurricane. Yes. So yes. did you see that coming? Did you know that things well, were going to change because of this guy and he was going to come through and really well, you you know, know, pioneer this and that? I hate to admit it, but you know, when, when I was first started with Skernick, yeah. they had Rudy. Oh, really? Yeah, and I got to know the wines, and I met Rudy early on. And then uh, Terry came along. Because he was working at uh, the other company. That's Kronheim, Kronheim in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, sh- I hope Rudy doesn't listen to this. It's okay. Nobody listens to this. <laughs> it's just you I heard you had a lot of listeners. That's oh. the only reason I'm here. I heard this was it's, big, big publicity. I'm telling you, Ru- Rudy Weiss, like... Get my manager on the he's phone. He's definitely... My dad and Rudy Weiss are about neck and neck with listening to the <laughs> podcast. In other words, neither is going to, and I wouldn't worry right. about it too much. Well, Harmon keeps uh, reminding me of this fact. Every time I talk to him, he laughs and says, remember when uh, Terry uh, came to us and you said it would be a great idea to dump Rudy Rudy and pick up Terry oh, yeah? Thies. Boy, they really like <laughs> tied that one around your neck and threw you in the water, huh? Yep. Well, yeah. you know, at the time... Um, so uh, why did you make that well, decision? It's not entirely God, true. That's one of the big ironies of the business. Yeah, it's not, I would be saying that all the time, too. It's not entirely true. It's somewhat true because at the time, you remember, Terry was like, uh, you know, one of the importers of the year on the back page of, uh, of, of Parker. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, back in those days, Parker shockingly reviewed German wines. He then stopped, I think at around 1991, he did not review German wine for 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great silence from Monk. Yeah. But prior to that, he was reviewed. The the, the 89 and 90 vintages got nice scores. And I got to know German wine through reading Parker when Parker actually talked about producers and wineries and winemakers before it became the shit show it is now, scores, scores, scores. But uh, so I was pushing for, you know, when they asked me, what did I think? Because they knew, I, you know, Harmon and Michael knew that I loved German wine. Michael was, you know, this is too much work for not enough money. And Harmon's like, no, we got to do this. This is great wine. And I said, yeah, I think I agree. I think, uh, you know, Terry is happening right now. But I didn't burn my bridge with Rudy. I, I liked Rudy and I liked his wines a lot. And I liked his winemakers. I met Fritz Hasselbach from Gunderlach back then. And uh-huh. so... You know, fast forward now, I've got, you know, Rudy went to Martin Scott and here and there. And, you know, look, back then, nobody knew how, to, it was like an albatross around your neck. You felt mm-hmm. like you had to have a German wine, but... Because mm-hmm. uh, of the history and you knew yeah. the wines were good and... But nobody knew how to no, sell them. But nobody wanted to buy them. Yeah, it was too much work. It was too much work. <laughs> you go to, I used to go to an account, accounts, right, and say, I've got some German wine for you, right? And uh, and they would say, ah, oh, we doesn't sell here. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, well, where's your German section? Oh, we don't have one. Yeah. Well, gee, no wonder it doesn't right. sell. Right. You don't have any. Right. Meanwhile, you know, a few of the key accounts were selling tons of German wine to the German wine aficionados. So, you know, it was a thing. Let but, me you know, ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, World War II. 
mm-hmm. uh, the history of German occupation. Remind uh, me, what happened? The yeah, exactly. <laughs> the relationship with uh, was that a bad thing? Relationship with Jews? Yes. Do you think that Germany had a harder time selling its wines in a New York that was dominated by French restaurants and Jewish wine merchants? Yes and no. I think there was a little bit of that. There was a lot of hypocrisy, of course, because people would come into Crossroads and I'd offer them German wine and they'd look at me, oh, oh no, no, I'm Jewish. Then they'd drive off in their Mercedes. So what was the comment that people would say? They would drive off in their Mercedes Benz or their BMW. Right, right, right. right. Because when I came up, it was never verbalized. And it took me a while to figure out that maybe... I would press, because I'm like, what, why? You yeah, know, right? right, 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 right. I'm a salesperson. I want you to buy this. I have why this questionnaire for you to fill out. Yeah, so they'd say, you know, you know, well, yeah, World War II. Meanwhile, you know, the French, uh, some of the French winemakers weren't exactly uh, angelic during the, right, that right, period right. either. Sure. So it's totally hypocritical. You, you can't not buy German wine because you're Jewish. It's I'm not just, saying it's a viewpoint I support. I'm yeah. just asking if the market was a little more difficult. Listen, you put me up on this high horse, so now you got to get me <laughs> off. Um, no, but that's what, the, you're right. There was a little bit of that. Actually, it was worse. Do you remember when there was the anti-French thing? I after, do. Uh, well, I 9/11? came up in that time. Yeah. It was actually easy at the time because we sold a ton of California wine. Right. That was the highlight of yeah. California market. Everything came together to make it very easy. Right. It, it was very easy to be discriminatory. Those things come and go. I think worse, I think that what was uh, more difficult to overcome uh, was the fact that at my generation, uh, the Coming up into fine wine, we had just spent a few years in college drinking the most horrible. I I blame Peter Sechelle. Okay. So okay? you're blaming Blue Nun. Yes. And, okay. Because we Tower. this was horrible, horrible stuff that we got headaches and threw up with. Right. So when we graduated, so to speak, to good wine, sweet wine was absolutely the last thing. Sweet German wine was like, oh please. Mm-hmm. The same phenomenon as happens. if I had offered you Cisco Grand Cru. Yeah. From my generation. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, hey, why don't you have the Jack Daniels Country Cooler? Exactly. You right. know, like uh, Grosskavax. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So people didn't they didn't consider it to be serious wine, sweet wine, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's sweet. Ooh, it's sweet. So, you know, the same thing happened again, by the way. I observed it with Beaujolais because of George Dubuff and the whole Beaujolais Nouveau phenomenon. You can't say Beaujolais to sell it. You have to say Cru. Right. You know what I mean? Right. This is a Morgon, right. this is a Fleury. Well, just like Germany had its moment where I two couple of things happened, right? Two thousand one came along, fabulous vintage, and the wines were dirt cheap. And as I think it was Asimov that said, you know, the market's gonna find itself at some point. My generation started to age out. You had a whole bunch of new people coming into the fine wine world who hadn't that prejudice against sweet wines. And so all these things came together. Beaujolais Nouveau, he had a, it was the next generation. Those people would drink German wine, but wouldn't drink Beaujolais because of all the, you know, I, I like serious wine. I don't like Beaujolais. Right. So that's changing now, too, especially you've got the watershed 09 vintage with Beaujolais. So how quickly did 09 disappear from the David Very, Bauer? very, very quickly. And yeah. we suddenly, with the addition of Dresner, became a real... You, you became know, the player. Yeah. yeah. And I have a so couple of others. all of these, you know, yeah. crew, Morgon and Fleury, and yeah. what happened in 09? I've got to tell you that Joe Joe gave me a tremendous gift, and I told him that. I said, Joe, you've given me an absolutely tremendous gift. I will be forever indebted to you for entrusting your portfolio uh, to me. You know, this gets me a little bit uh, emotional here, but uh, he was a friend, and uh, he was, you know, looking for a place. for. He was not happy where he was, and he knew he was dying. And everyone else knew he was unhappy there. Yeah, and he was dying. He was dying of cancer. He knew it was a matter of time. And he wanted to put his house in order, and he talked to me about it. And, you know, 
the fact that he was entrusted me with his portfolio going forward was just a gift that uh, you can't ever repay. And I just, uh, you know, um, I, we we try every day to do a good job with it. And it's not hard to do because right now it's in vogue. But, you know, Levy, things change, right? There's so much fashion and trend, right, in the wine business. You know, one day German yeah. wines are not popular and then one day they are and Beaujolais isn't, now it is. And I think as a uh, as a uh, importer and distributor, I, I have to um, just stick to the fundamentals. I think French wine is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. I think German wine is good. I think if you have good wine, you're going to do okay, e- even in bad times. You know, you can't follow what everybody else is doing. I'm not following the trend with this Dresden portfolio. Joe's book was always the third or fourth afterthought for people like Skernick or whatever no else was. It was like, oh, really? Loire Valley? In the Parker, the days of the, the reign of terror? I used to get laughed at with right. Muscadet. Hey, have a right. Muscadet. I used to get, and I, you know, I was not the first, Yeah, you know, by any means. Yeah. I came way late. Yep. So uh, things change. I think if you stick to the fundamentals, and I also learned from my own father that... Uh, Look for undervalued things. Undervalued things are, you know, that's that's they're going to eventually find their value, and I think that's that's happened. Well, it's certainly happened in the wine market in the last. I mean, this is a good time to have that philosophy over the last thirty years. Yeah. Whereas the prior thirty years may be a little more difficult. You know, yeah. Because the, we've just seen incredible escalation in prices. Yeah. Do you, what do you think about that in terms of a young guy coming up today? You know, someone who's twenty four who wants to learn about wine. I mean, what's the landscape, and do they? Do they have the opportunity to try these like benchmark wines? And no. If not, you know, what's that mean for them? No. I sometimes joke with my staff that uh, the reason I'm in the wine business is to, is to support my Burgundy habit because yeah. otherwise I couldn't afford to drink them. And I, I really don't take it for granted. I think Burgundy and, and even worse, Bordeaux, I've just, I used to buy Bordeaux. Yeah. I used to buy Bordeaux. Well, so, yeah, me too. I mean, used to be really happy to try, yeah. you know. Or whatever. And Burgundy was always a little bit out of reach, but at least with Burgundy, maybe uh, maybe the same is true in Bordeaux as well, but uh, it seems much more dominated by the house in, in Bordeaux. But there are family-run properties in Bordeaux too. But for me, it was Burgundy, so maybe I couldn't drink Claude La Roche or uh, Bon Mar, but I could, I could drink a Chambol Village, I could drink a you know, uh, a givry or, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, some, sometimes you hear the thing like, hey, if you haven't tried Montrachet, if you haven't tried Caladelle Roche, if you haven't tried Chambertin, you're not going to really be able to understand uh, Morgon, like in terms of really? wine. So do you agree with that? If not, you know, what do you say? No, I don't agree with that. I don't think so. I'd have to think about that a little bit. I'm not yeah. sure what the what the meaning is. Um, like, I think people think that if you don't have the benchmarks in place, it's harder for you to really appreciate um, the wines for what they are. You might you might skew it higher. You might skew it lower. In terms I don't. Of I don't think so. Because most of the people making those wines who love their wines, they've never tasted any other wines, but they're oh, that's you know point. than the wines in their region, and they they adore what you know. They're proud of what they do. Right. Well, I happen to like the wines too. I'm yeah. just asking if you think that I with don't the younger so. generation, what's the what's the change? I think it's a shame and a pity that uh, it's so out of reach of the average person now, and we're talking about the average person. Right. Right. We're not, not talking even, about like the working poor. We're talking about like a regular well, dude. Working poor don't generally, well, you know, you can't make any generalized statement because there's always an exception. But wine is uh, for people with some discretionary income, let's face it. Uh, although um, 
there should be some, and there are some everyday wines now. A lot of people drink wine and, and across the social classes. Everybody drinks wine. As you probably know, there's a lot of home winemakers out there. Uh, my The guy who, uh, I'm going to sound like a real um, uh, well, I don't know, pretentious person here. The guy who cuts my lawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I have a guy who cuts my lawn. Uh, he's an Italian. Is he related to you? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, my you think dad. I think I can no. get my kids to come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't. They know. They used to. They no longer live with me, and uh, I don't want to cut the lawn on the weekends. And he doesn't do it on the weekend anyway. And that, why are we talking about my lawn? I, but uh, he's an Italian guy, and he makes wine. So of course, he found out his wine business, and he brings his 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 bottle hmm. of wine. It was delicious. There's a lot of people who uh, can't afford uh, Burgundy or Bordeaux who are making wine themselves at home or, you know, and then there's still the whole, you know, there's the equivalent of jug wine in this country. I think the shame in this country is that California real estate being so expensive, you, they can't make good everyday wines. Although I, I think there's signs of that changing now, but it, you know. Well, I mean, St. John has been, you know, yeah. doing it for a while. Not that he owns vineyards, but he, you know, he brings in, as you well know, because you bring in the wines, he, he, you know, brings in good value. Yeah. And there's a few others now. I think the trick in California is finding those vineyards that don't cost so much. You know, not Cabernet, not right. Chardonnay, right? Well, isn't that what he did? Yeah. You know, Sierra Foothills and, yeah. and you know, yeah. Syrah. And, yep. And, Different grapes from vineyards that aren't in the main, aren't in Napa and Sonoma in the right. expensive area. That's the only way you can do it. But isn't that interesting how it forces you know, a, a creative and talented winemaker to go out and find things and make them that wouldn't otherwise exist because the economics are right. forcing it. Meanwhile, if you he still, wanted to make Latour, you know, the yeah. Napa Valley version of he can't. Right. Because right. of the resources. Right. So uh, necessity is mother invention. So, you know, it's a very young business out there in California. We were just there. It was a Really, really interesting trip, but uh, there's more of that coming. You're going to see Grignolino. You already see it, and although you had a few pioneers like uh, Jim Clendenin and, and Heights yeah. do, doing oddball things, but it was always like not their main thing, right? Right? right, right it was right. like uh, right, right, right. you know. By the way, if you want to sell our Chardonnay in New York, you also have to take our <laughs> Calatal. <laughs> that's how they sell it to you. <laughs> I don't know if that's how they sell it to the consumer. Yeah, well, you think it's any different yeah. on our end, right? So, but now people don't have the main wines. They're just coming with uh, interesting varietals and saying, are you, you know, would you like to sell these? And um, so I think there's more of that coming. So what's your relationship to Italy? I don't see Ugh, so I was much afraid you were going to ask me wine. that. I mean, it's fine. I mean, no, uh, and you're such a good Italian. You're an Italian see, expert. Do you have any tattoos and, that would indicate uh, any presence in that Piedmont? Can I go home yeah. now? And I'm embarrassed. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, tell me about it. Tell me what you don't like or tell me. No, I love Italian wine, but I it's always been my sort of weak spot. I'm not sure why. It's uh, Even in the days of Crossroads, I could learn about German wine, talk about German wine, talk about French wine. Italy was so complex for me, and it's even more complicated now. I mean, right. now you've got wines coming out of all the other, you know, knowing Tuscany and Piedmont doesn't give you any kind of cred these sure. days. Susamanello is yeah, the like, new black. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get it. So, I mean, even Negramaro is no longer cutting edge. I mean, t you know, 
that's like yeah boring everybody knows yeah. negro Mar. i don't mean it's a boring wine it's just not what you know now people kind of came out like even the who's not a popular band <laughs> anymore you know what i mean <laughs> sorry if i rolled my eyes no, you're on that right one, you're right you know? but you know what i mean it's not it's the not, yard birds it's not interesting it's not the latest thing coming from, you know italy yeah. is very dynamic right now and ldm's doing a great job yeah they sure are yeah uh doug palaner is doing a fabulous job in italy finding traditional uh producers and things uh uh so so there's this, uh, you know, this blend of uh, new stuff happening in the South, uh, and then you've got uh, people going out there uh, finding traditional producers because you had this temporary insanity of the barrique uh, barrage uh, there, you know, the uh, De Grazia uh, um, force for a while. Did uh, you see that come up when you were in Skarnik? Did you see that start yeah. the foundations? Of course, the fun, you know, the irony is there part of our job to sell that wine when they were unknown, when De Grazia was virtually unknown, was to say, you don't want those dirty old yeah. traditional well, wines. Try you these the new. only one saying that. That's yeah. what was said. Right, right. You know, that's what was said. And you know what? Dirty. There were very few voices against that, but there that's were right. a few. There and were I, was, f- I wasn't one of them, yeah. I can tell you. There were very few, but there were a few who came up and said, that stuff is, well, they overreacted, of course, but right. that's okay. They said that stuff... It's disgusting. It's horrible. It's not real Barolo. Well, of course, that's not true, but the point is that... Somewhere in the middle. Well, listen, if there's only one style, it would be a pretty boring uh, yeah. world. And um, But yes, I think there was an overuse of Barrique, but not just in Barrique. But that's the beauty of uh, the last oh, five, ten years is uh, it's no longer a Parker spectator world. I, I should just probably say, not that anybody cares, but, you know, I learned a lot from reading Parker and I still read the wine spectator. All the smart people say that, honestly. Yeah. Every smart guy that's had any long history in wine says that. But I'm thankful for the change. I'm thankful that with the internet and with blogs, I remember in the early days, people would say, well, what does this person know? Why does he self-proclaimed, you know, wine expert having a blog? And I'm like, well, who was Parker? Right. You know, who was Marvin Shank? And these were self-proclaimed uh, wine experts, too. So it was really no different. What you hope for is that with this new opening up of opinion and, and, and blather, you know, some good voices emerge. Mm-hmm. And that's, in fact, what's happened. So you have a diversity of opinion now, and you have more access. People have access to information they didn't have. The same is true in the music business, right? Why, why would the hell do we want an industry dominated by two or three voices or two or three companies, you know, it's, that's uh, not healthy. It's not healthy. And I think that we're seeing the results of that, especially in a recession where now you can get wines for 10, 12 bucks like Muscadet that are absolutely delicious, delicious. You don't, and it doesn't matter. And they're scored well, but you know, you don't care about the score part so much as the value. And it's great. I think that's been a big, big change. And I think prior to that, though, I think you're right. I think it was these main voices that were dictating people's taste. That's always the way. It's like it's like movies, right? It's like the motion picture business. Sure. You know, how many times have you heard you talk about a movie, somebody says, oh, I heard it was good. Where did you hear that? <laughs> right? Right. From the actor. Oh, from, on yeah, Letterman. exactly. <laughs> I heard it was good. Yeah. It's, the Post liked it. So a little bit you're involved in... You know, traditional style California producers. That's my focus in California. Let's face it, all the other stuff is taken. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. 
But I mean, I got to carve out a niche, right? Well, don't we all? Yeah. I mean, I think it's more important in my business. I don't know if you agree. That is very important. How do you stand out in this business, whether you're a restaurant or a distributor or whatever? You've got to have a vision and and, and you've got to have something that you you can show people like this is the thread. This is who we are, right? So, so what's changing in California, though? I mean, are, are we seeing, because it seems like those are popular things, at least on this coast. Are, yeah. are we hearing a different dialogue in California than we did 15 years ago? Not much. You get outside of New York or... Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's hard. Even in New Jersey, it's still, uh, people are comfortable with what they know. And it, frankly, so, it's our job to change that, isn't it? The big brands are yeah. still carrying the weight. Yep, yep. And frankly, in other markets, uh, the big distributors dominate much more than they do in New York. Oh, I don't know if people. No doubt about that. I don't know if people talk about that much, but there's a reason why some of these markets are so boring. Right. You know, New York. Thank God, New York is regulated. Really, I'm all for the state liquor authority. I think they listen. Do they make mistakes? Sure. But the, the, absolutely, the reason this is a diverse and dynamic market is because the people at the state liquor authority. Make sure that it stays that way by preventing, you know, the two big players from taking over. From taking over. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what would be some examples of that, that mm-hmm. of attempts that had happened that were suppressed? Southern and Empire, the two biggest distributors in our market, are pushing a law to require people like me, smaller distributors, to have warehouse space in Manhattan, which on the face of it doesn't sound so bad. But there is no warehouse space in Manhattan. It doesn't exist. Uh, Southern has it because they bought another big company that had it. Mm -hmm. So From back in the day. Yeah, so it's easy for them to say. There's no really reason for them to demand it other than to uh, squash competition. So we would have to have two warehouses now because we also, you know, it's one market, New York, New Jersey, essentially. Warehouses in New Jersey, they do all the deliveries for us. They do all the pickups at the pier. And, and they're based in New Jersey, and they, they, they take care of me and a lot of other people. They're nice, good business and good people. So to require us to have a warehouse in New York and to store things for 24 hours prior to shipping would be e- extremely costly, uh, for one. And then there's also this requirement that, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but we have to actually be the owners of the warehouse. We can't even... Rent oh, warehouse space. So no space. Fond du Lac kind of right, arrangement. Right, No MHW. Right. We'd have to own our own warehouse. So forget it. You, so they, how many small importers would that cut out of the game? Quite a few. All of your favorites. Right. All of the people you like. And the, when I say people you like, I mean whose portfolios you yeah. like. So uh, Because the reality is that there really are large warehouses and all these small importers work out of them. That's right. We, we, all, we, all, we, all, we all rent from this basically one or two... Because when you get the delivery in from Fond du Lac, it's four different companies. That's right. And what you're saying is that there's proposed legislation that would Proposed make- being pushed, written and pushed and promoted and, uh, and lobbied for by uh, Southern and Empire, by very highly paid lobbyists whose names I could probably even pr- provide you. And uh, they're pushing hard for it. But so far, we've had a sort of grassroots uh, effort, uh, as you, you, you're aware, I'm sure, involving getting the support of restaurants and retail to fight against this and let our congressmen. We were on the phone. I've talked to uh, some, some New York State reps who are, um, you know, who are trying to educate them and let them know and let our voices be heard. And it uh, so far has worked. We've been able to push that legislation off the agenda 
at least for now. But Southern is not going to give up. It's a drop, not even a drop in the bucket for them to pay their lobbyists. For us, what's you know, there's always some good that comes out of these things. And one of the good things that came out of it was the Alliance, uh, Fine Wine Alliance, which is a group of like-minded wholesalers, smaller wholesalers. Um, and I joined uh, about two years ago. Uh, and it's been great uh, to work together with my competitor colleagues in the industry for a common cause. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Would we have uh, the fine wine culture that we have today without the rock and roll culture that we had ah. 30 years ago? They are related, aren't they? I mean, it kind of feels like one kind of broke the ground for the others. Yeah. Am I totally off base on this? No, I don't but think so. Every time I go back, it's like, oh man, yeah, we're going to yeah. a lot of shows and then, you know, yeah. it's really, it's not that far back when yeah. I talk to people a little bit older than me. Yeah, and there's a lot of musicians in the wine business. And a lot of like appreciation for the, hey, yeah, you know, we, we cut a small scale thing and, you know, we did a thing and yeah. we played a show. Indie like, bands. You know, indie, yeah. you know. Yeah. Is that real or is that just Yeah, that's real. World? I think it's the same as also in the film industry, although the problem in the film business is much more expensive to get a yeah. film made, so you have probably fewer of those things, but sure. Rock and roll uh, opened up, I mean, listen, it's part of my DNA now. I mean, I grew up with, uh, I, I'm a musician because of the Beatles, you know, I was eight or nine years old and I heard the Beatles and went out and learned how to play the drums and I still play today and so it's... You have a band, right? Well, I, I put a band together every once in a while, uh, the people that I play with over the years. Uh, Aren't some of them involved in wine as well? Uh, well, my kids. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So are they coming along in the business? I don't, uh, yeah. I don't think I've made their, made their acquaintance. Yeah, they both work for me now, which was uh, really great. Uh, I mean, I'm thrilled. I never pushed it, but um, they're in their mid to late 20s now, and they're at that time where they have to decide. They're both musicians, and they're... Uh, you know, when the older one, I think, has decided that uh, this might be a path that he'd... Uh, and he fell in love with wine. I took him on a trip to Europe last year, and he fell in love with wine. So he's now selling wine for me in Westchester. What was your advice to him about approaching wine as a subject? Oh, just keep an open mind. Yeah. Yeah, keep yeah. an open mind and taste. Is that, at the end of the day, that's that's what you tell people? Yeah, um, I actually quote Doug Polliner's uh, website. Oh, yeah. Open oh, yeah, because that's taste. exactly what the motto is. It's uh, really somewhat bizarre that, you just, that was like, go to Gimbel's. Don't buy it, Macy's. Go to Gimbel's. Although our motto at Bowler is open your wallet and pay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're a funny cat. Well, Mr. Bowler, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Levy. That's Thanks for uh, having me. As, it, as it's been a pleasure to get to know you over the years. I'm now sweating like a dog. Yeah, we do know. that to you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website all drink to that pod.com that's i-l-l drink to that p-o-d.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating you can donate from anywhere using paypal or stripe on the show website remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app please that's super important to see every episode and thank you for listening